Hello, I'm RP. I'm a sustainability professional involved in impact investing in social enterprises. And I'm Sam, an advocate on the role of technology in the pursuit of social innovation, nation building, and sustainable development. We're both from the IGP's MSC Prosperity Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program. And welcome to, to Prosperity, Prosperity and Beyond. And just like that, we're down to our last episode in our mini-series. Time does really fly by. How are you feeling, Sam? Already kind of nostalgic, to be honest, RP. We've learned a lot in this journey through the conversations we've had between the two of us and, of course, with our amazing guests. I couldn't agree more. But before we get too emotional and start getting tissues, perhaps we, we should introduce our guests to our finale. Yeah, sounds great, RP. So for this episode, we have not just one, but two individuals who have outstanding careers related to the pursuit of prosperity. And from a personal point of view, they are surely very close to our hearts. That's right, Sam. For our first guest, she studies entrepreneurial and organizational creativity and innovation with a focus in innovating with extreme context. Her research is a multi-side study of entrepreneurial resilience in China, UK, and the Philippines, Thailand, and Malaysia. Outside of the academia, she is an explorer. She enjoys hiking, traveling, and art. Meanwhile, our second guest was a former strategist at advertising agencies in Poland, Germany, and Iceland, and was a postdoctoral researcher at the Global Urban Research Unit in Newcastle University. His research interests include transdisciplinary urban studies, public transportation, future studies, and urban innovation through art and technology. Last but not the least, outside these amazing profiles, they are the program leads of the MSc PI program at the UCL Institute for Global Prosperity. So without further ado, we have our warmest welcome to Dr. Onya Idoho and Konrad Michokovic. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us both. Yes, um, we, Sam and I started this journey of starting our podcast and then when Anya reached out what, that we should embed it with the Life of Pi podcast, we were very excited and it, it seemed like a good opportunity to have um, our plan of having more discussions on prosperity work out. Yeah, it is really such an honor to be embedded within the UCL ecosystem. And just to start off the interview, we have a little bit of an icebreaker. So now that dissertation season is over and we've seen the last of London summer for this year, and just like a back-to-school essay, we'd like to ask, what did you do over the break and how did you make time to enjoy the season? So for me, I attended a couple of conferences because um, they happen around this period. And after that, I was able to travel a little bit um, I one trip in particular. I was in Washington D.C. Wow. and I went to NPR. I was oh able gosh. to attend a tiny desk um, tiny desk con concert. concert yeah. So you have like you know a musician. Right. Yeah. They come and they perform. So it was really exciting. And then I went to the White House and managed to pose in front of the White House. Did you meet Joe Biden? No. Of course not. The security, <laughs> the security was intense. No, like, 
she she went to a more legitimate space for podcasts and yeah. we're recording <laughs> we're recording a podcast in UCLE <laughs> UCLS Mules Campus of you know? course Conrad uh, I also got a chance to travel a little so I went to Poland to spend some time with my family and then I went to the south of France to spend um, some time with an extended family wow. more family more, more family, family. <laughs> just like South of France as like the cap of summer. That's very that's very ideal. <laughs> so, um, we move on to other questions about your work and your research. Um, so this question is for Anya. You have a bachelor's degree in physics and a master's and PhD in management. Although the connection might not be as direct, what was the creative jolt that brought you to this career path? And how did this journey influence you in teaching about strategizing for prosperity? So there wasn't a creative jolt. (laughs) (laughs) So if you read the paper and you look at what a creative jolt is, I did not have a creative jolt, but I'll go with it like more broadly in terms of creative jolt, if I use the term creative jolt. Um, I, while I was doing my master's, I knew, or before my master's, I knew I didn't want to work as a physicist. I mm. just knew already. And so I decided I would switch to management, which is why I did the, the master's in the first place. And then during my strategy module, I really enjoyed that module. And I spoke to the module leader. I said I wanted to do a PhD and I wanted to focus, I wanted to do something in strategy. Mm-hmm. So they gave me some advice. I spoke to a couple of faculty members and they asked me to stay there, but then I thought, no, I want to go to another university. So I applied somewhere else to do the PhD in management. So that sort of led me down that path. And typically, when you do a PhD, what comes next is you're going to be an academic. I originally did not want to be an academic. I wanted Mm. to go into management consulting. I wanted to be in McKinsey. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same dream as anyone doing an MBA or in a business school. Right. Um, but somehow I ended up, my first academic job was at the IGP as a postdoc, um, which was really amazing. It exposed me to Conrad and all the work <laughs> that the IGP does. I was working for Dr. Tuka Toivon, and he was the principal investigator on the project that I was working on. Um, and that, of course, then led me, because my PhD is more in strategic management Mm -hmm. but the postdoc with Tuka was on entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and they they bleed you know there's there's a lot of overlap between strategy um, strategic management and entrepreneurship Entrepreneurship. there's even a journal uh, for that kind of for that area Um, so it was really that postdoc that then shifted my research and focus towards studying entrepreneurs and then also focusing on organizational creativity and innovation. So that's what led me in that direction. And that has influenced what I teach. So not just working on that project with Tuka, but being at the IGP has influenced my teaching and even my thinking significantly because then I, I was exposed to a lot of content that I hadn't been exposed to in terms of prosperity, the lens of prosperity mm-hmm. in terms of, so I have some amazing conversations with Nikolai. We'd be standing outside Warren Street Station talking for 30 minutes <laughs> about, you know, prosperity and research. So 
the IGB has influenced me significantly and it has shaped you know my career and my teaching as well honestly same like a lot of us a lot of ig people find themselves talking on streets of london just about prosperity and people looking at us like what are they be talking about so invested in it yeah who are these oddballs basically <laughs> um just a quick follow-up question i was interested to know like how your scientific background influenced your way of thinking when it comes to navigating the world of prosperity like it's you know physics is so intimidating for a lot of people so how do you carry that forward now that you're teaching at the IGP so the thing about physics is my thinking is quite different from someone who's who's from a social science background and I noticed that when I joined the business school I noticed that so I'm thinking like in a mathematical way and I, knew, and I realized that only when I joined the business school, and I, I had to sort of learn how to think differently and more quality, in a qualitative way, to be honest, because that was not what I was accustomed to. But what is really interesting is you can think about, you can use some theories in physics as a metaphor, because you can use metaphor to, to think about things or to think about phenomena. For example, you can think of an organization, not even you can, it has been done. Some people have looked at an organization like a machine. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the way that you engage with it, some people have thought about it like a body. So there's the CEO, you can see how that metaphor will shape the way that you analyze the organization or even run the organization. So sometimes I think about theories in physics. I think about the way some of the things were discovered were discovered. And I can see some parallels with that. And then I use that, this is me personally, I use that to help me think about this thing in prosperity that I'm now thinking about. So I, I use it mainly in a met metaphorical way. Mm. That's sort of how I use it, to be honest. Okay. Well, I think we can move on to Anya's question. Yeah, now that we, I guess, have a little bit of background of where Anya is coming from, it's time to move forward with Conrad, starting with you know our engagement with Peter Patashko. And he mentioned that the core of social innovation is about humanity coming together and making decisions. So while this sounds good, it is very idealistic, especially given society's varying levels of social cohesion. Having said that, how do you think people working towards prosperity should confront this issue? Hmm. I think that people can come together in lots of different ways. And the humanity can come together uh, at lots of different scales as well. And you could think about some issues that require social innovation, I like to say, at a, at a global scale. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if we want to tackle climate change, we have to, we have to do it somehow globally, right. because if we do it only in one place, it won't work everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. so, so there are global issues. Or, for example, if we want to have a world of peace, it's also a global um, venture to, to achieve that. But equally, there's, there's lots of problems, um, lots of um, issues to be addressed that are very local. And then this humanity can come together in the multitude of places 
at the same time. Sometimes doing the same things in the same moment in time. Sometimes doing the same things in a uh, in in a different way. There's sometimes uh, and sometimes doing completely different things in different places in in time, m- uh, making. Um, the world better for us to live in, and this is where you also come back to these these theories of prosperity, right? That mm. that people are different in different yeah. parts of the world, and then they have different needs, but they also have different ways of pursuing uh, pursuing their goals and for uh, for meeting their their needs, and then to make things even more complicated, I would say that social cohesion itself it's a contested concept. Mm. because in in some ways it assumes some kind of managed uh, way of organizing difference mm. uh, to getting all different diversities in a way that it's functional and that helps some uh, an organization or, or helps a, a, a society to have some co- some uh, you know, a coherent whole and in this in this very notion of social cohesion there is a potential problem of what to do with for example with radical difference and this can be something like a this this can be for example new minority say sexual minorities in some places where radically different not up to not to very long time ago and then the same sexual uh, minorities are still radically different mm-hmm. in in many places in the world in, in the world now in the same and by the same token it, you could have people with some wacky ideas right mm-hmm. some einsteins of of tomorrow who do not fit in into the ways how organizations conduct their business or who do not weigh uh, with, who do not fit in with how how states organize the division of of, of, of labor between uh, between departments and uh, and so on, but potentially will do so in, in 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 the future. So then, this this very lack of cohesion does not always have to be um, have to be bad, right? Mm-hmm. And then, on the other hand, I would say that we are characterized by lower lower levels of social cohesion in multiple ways and mm-hmm. so this could be uh, this could be culturally this could be uh, economically so there's less there's so 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 there's less equality in the world in the, in the world or, or overall ap- apart from some places like china that even the 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 the, the, the income for for a, for a moment in, uh, in in time and this can cause issues so, so when you look at these like global challenges like that, that of, of prosperity, the lack of cohesion and the lack of shared values or the lack of shared positions in the, uh, in the system makes achieving these goals difficult, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think, for example, coming back to this climate change, right? So we, almost everybody agrees, especially, especially younger, younger generations, that we should do something to protect the earth, right? But then there's less of an agreement of of who is to be blamed or what is to right. be blamed, and there is even less agreement on how to achieve that. Yeah. And then when you think about how how people converge and diverge, it goes into strange cycles. It's not a process whereby we are closer to that to, to that goal of of, uh, mm. of protecting the earth 
uh, and moving moving towards that protection. We are we are moving up and down yeah. depending on on a set of comp on of a complex set of uh, of political uh, and uh, and economic events. So, take for example the 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 most kind of burning issue of UK politics of today, the ULES, mm-hmm. right? So mm. so quite ironically, for example, the the former uh, the former uh, former prime minister Boris Johnson who was uh, a big proponent of environmental sustainability and and who was a big proponent of of green policies in the UK the fact that he resigned and the fact how the uh, by election in his seat went changed the course of the of the conservative party Towards uh, towards uh, uh, watering down environmental goals over the last uh, over the next ten or fifteen uh, ten or fifteen years, right? So while there is an agreement to protect the earth, there is and there is also an agreement in the UK on to achieve net zero by by 2040, right? Um, uh, and but then there is less agreement how to get there. And there is less agreement on how to, on, on what and who has to do and, and when. With that, Conrad, I'd like to ask, like, is that kind of knowledge or information something that people who work towards prosperity have to constantly always remind themselves that there is um, a difficulty being faced coming from very different cultural backgrounds and we may not be able to agree always on how how we're going to solve an issue. So there is a diversity of cultural backgrounds, right? That's one. There is a diversity of economic backgrounds. That's two. Uh, And coming back to this issue of these ULES, so these uh, ultra-low emissions zones, people living in uh, central London or, or or in inner London like me are less affected by the new regulations than people who live farther away, right? And and those people who uh, are more affected are more dependent on on cars and quite often would have less resources to adapt, right? So while there is there might be a shared goal, the mm. economic positions and also like geographical limitations are different for for different people and then I think that the role for researchers but also the roles of the role of policymakers is to help not only to help us uh, agree on specific values but it's also to help us mitigate the the problems that we might be having in in achieving specific goals that are different for different for different people Oh, it's a very generous first half of this <laughs> podcast. I, I, I think there is much to talk about later for discussion. Wouldn't you agree, Sam? Yeah, definitely. And with that, maybe we can go on a quick break so that our guests can also maybe think about more <laughs> on how we're going to move forward with the rest of this episode. So I think for the first question of the discussion um, between all four of us, <laughs> um, as program leads of Pi, can you share with us 
the vision for creating the masters around prosperity, innovation, entrepreneurship, and how it has changed over the years. Like when you were crafting it, and then how things have changed upon implementation. Mm, I think that this the program started from our interest in uh, entrepreneurship as a way of achieving prosperity. So it started from entrepreneurship and fast forward 2030 doing their things for social good but doing their things for the environment as well and it also was rooted in our interest in social innovative practices and these could be this could be social movements this could be the, the, these could be a- NGOs or or self-organized groups doing something for their communities or doing something for for larger uh, um, communities or, or, or society. So this is how it started from a, from a research interest mm-hmm. and f- uh, from our kind of curiosity about what the connection was between uh, prosperity on the one hand and uh, entrepreneurship and social uh, innovation on the, on the other. So this is how it started, how it evolved. I think it's, there was a so, so there was a long process of designing uh, mm. a program, and there was there were, there were different colleagues coming in and 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 out and and and, and coming with their with their ideas, um, but also there was there was a process whereby we learned from the students. Yeah. So, so there were new cohorts who were, for example, liked certain things and liked some certain things a little bit less, and then we we changed the course of the program a little bit. Yet another. Uh, impactful uh, 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 factor for us was that um, from one program which was Global Prosperity we moved to two programs the MSc Prosperity Innovation and Entrepreneurship and then we moved to three programs with uh, Prosperity uh, People and, and Planet and we started having conversations about what is identity of these programs how do they differ what brings them together how to teach students in order to offer them the most the most comprehensive yet uh, different and well suited for different uh, needs uh, uh, program so so that was in short yeah um, I think it's not um, it's not a surprise to everyone, but then a lot of the faculty from IGP come from like a so- sociology, anthropology, social science background. And I think Onya, you're the um, you're one of the few that came from like a managerial background. How was it in terms of integrating um, an understanding of entrepreneurship to a faculty more rich on the social end of the PI program? So it wasn't difficult because I've got the entrepreneurship background already. Um, what was fascinating is to look or think about entrepreneurship in a new way, which is what a lot of the social science lenses do, and which is actually one of the calls in a recent paper on entrepreneurialism, inequality, and society. So people are now interested in the impact of entrepreneurship and how it has become an ideology of its own. So it wasn't very difficult to bring the social science as a lens to look at entrepreneurship and look at it critically mm-hmm. to consider what's happening in the world. A really good example is the IMF, 
or the World Bank, and we talked about this in class. So when they go to lend money, they, are, they have conditions that they put on top of whatever provision they're giving. So this is the IMF now, on top of whatever conditions. And one of those could be something like, you know, do something around entrepreneurship. I'm not saying this is it, I'm just giving an example. So it's now a question of, well, if you're asking these nations and these countries to implement these practices, maybe have a Silicon Valley in your own country or something like that, the question then is, is that suited for that? Remember what prosperity is, it's context-based. Is that suited for that nation? Is that the right approach to development? So it wasn't hard bringing them together because now you're able to look at entrepreneurship more critically and then you can think of a better way of moving forward, of using, of, of, of using entrepreneurship as a tool or, or a mindset or a mechanism for mm -hmm. dealing with challenges. Yeah, very interesting points of view. And I guess our next question is about our experience in Pai. So we noticed that most individuals taking courses in IGP were actually from places outside of the UK. So most were from different countries all over the world. So we're just asking, like, why do you think this is the case? And what are the challenges and strengths of dealing with a global cohort? Well, so... I can speak to, I can speak a little bit about it and then Conrad can add to it. Um, I think that something that I noticed when I came back to the IGP is post or during COVID, around the COVID period, a lot of people everywhere around the world had time to reflect. Mm. Mm. It's almost like you have this existential moment and then people start to ask themselves, what am I really doing? You know, is this impactful? And then they want to they want to change so mm. for example we have we've had students from investment banking um, from different backgrounds and they don't really see the impact of what it is that they're doing and when I say impact I mean you know socially um, environmentally etc they don't really see it in their everyday yeah. and now they're looking for something more so it's not that I don't want to be an investment banker or I don't want to be a policymaker or um, whatever else, or an entrepreneur, because we have a couple of entrepreneurs. It's not that, it's that, how can I do something more meaningful, mm -hmm. you know? And so they go online, and, and I'm speaking from some of the, um, some of the comments I've had from, from students before joining the IGP. And they go online and they're looking for a program that is a combination of these things. So that thread, that prosperity element, they want to understand it and they want to understand. So I have a, a previous student who works at Uber. Um, I think she works in the sustainability department and they want to understand how can we begin to act or organize or do business in a way that is regenerative as as opposed to extractive as opposed to destructive so we have students coming from all over the world and when they go online they find this program and in terms of the or or i'll just let conrad chip in, you know share his point and then we move on to the second point 
Yeah, so it's just to second this, the, uni the university system in the UK as a whole is not a local education system, mm. it's a global university mm. uh, uh, education system. And then it's simply the numbers. The population of China and India both are 20, these populations are 20 times bigger than the population of the UK. Right. So, and then the population of the Philippines is bigger than the population of the UK, right? Uh, and then the population of the US is bigger than the population of the UK. So, if you look at the uh, at, at the program as a as a global program in within the university system, which is a global system, then you will have students coming from all over the world uh, wanting to study. Uh, to study global prosperity and entrepreneurship, but also wanting to study management or wanting to study architecture and wanting to study, study whatever there is, bi biology and so on. And I think I'll just add to that. The other thing that is obvious is the reputation. So UCL is top 10 global. Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of building on what Conrad said. It's top 10, so it attracts um, the best students from across the world anyway. As he was saying, it's a global university, so it does attract students from different parts of the world. With having that, how does the how does that introduce challenges in or like strengths in the cohort? Like, you clearly have um, a very global mix when it comes to a cohort. Like, are there specific strengths or challenges in like teaching one? I think that the strengths are mainly in, in being constantly exposed to people who are really diverse. And it's from diversity where the best ideas emerge, right? Where in terms of challenges is how this diversity is being managed at different and different scales uh, for for people to uh, to peacefully explore these ideas. Right. <laughs> these ideas. Yeah, so for our listeners, yeah. Conrad is smiling very widely right now. <laughs> No, I think um, to add to this, you said something about social cohesion a while ago that it is a bit difficult to put in the hands of humanity to come together. I and think you also mentioned like radical differences. And the radical differences. I think IGP presents itself as a venue to sort of prototype these discussions having a global cohort. Would it you agree? It, 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 it's like a lab of experimentation with, with diversity. And diversity is not always easy. Mm -hmm. If we are different, it means that we do not see people in the same way. We do not feel uh, things in the same way. And we do not act on them in the same way or at the same pace. And the process of, uh, of, of, of finding out that, that other ones do things differently is, is a process whereby sometimes we clash. But this is from this is but quite often like the most interesting things and the most the most innovative things arise from 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 these clashes. But this but the, but the fact that 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 you know like a, a diverse diverse uh, IGP cohort in a similar way to diverse corporate cohorts mm -hmm. is innovative um, does not exclude the fact that sometimes there would be challenges in in working through these diverse uh, contexts and and I, I think we have to we have to accept these challenges and do our best to 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 make the most of it and i think overall we do i i, I think it was it was amazing to teach 
your cohort and it was amazing to teach some other cohorts global cohorts who came with uh, lots of these different ideas and then worked in lots of these different ways so so that I, i'm really pleased with that i i think that when the students i think it's a really good opportunity for the students to study within a global or diverse cohort because for some of them this might be the first time they're meeting someone from another country or the first time they've actually even left their country so then they're exposed to other cultures they learn new things they're, they're able to gain new perspectives on life as conrad was saying and that also feeds in in terms of develop developing the students so then when you go back to your country, if you end up going back, you'll, you'll notice that your, your perspective has changed. The way you communicate has changed, the way that you think has changed because you've been three semesters, well, two semesters, because term three is the dissertation, it's an individual piece of work. In your term one and term two, You've been working with these people from different countries. You've fought with them. You've laughed with them. You've come up with great ideas together. You've built rich relationships that sometimes last beyond um, the IGP itself. So it's a really big advantage, that diversity. I think with how nice we paint um, the program and by it can be daunting to apply for an interdisciplinary master's especially one that tackles prosperity, innovation, and entrepreneurship. As individuals who witness both ends of professional and academic sides of prosperity, what do you think it takes to succeed in the course? More importantly, how can one apply the lessons of Pi to be successful in their chosen career? Well, my response to what it takes to succeed on the program would be, well, there's several things. One is to engage, and, and I'll try to explain what I mean by that. The truth is, the more you engage in those class discussions, the better it is for you because then you get better understanding. You're learning not just from, your, from the module leader or the module tutor, you're learning from your peers, right? Um, so students that engage, I notice that they, they do well. They, they, they actually perform really well because from a pedagogical point of view, and pedagogy is like theory of um, learning, of education, teaching and learning theory. Um, there is something called zonal peer, I've forgotten the last term, but it's a concept in pedagogy, and it talks about learning from, uh, there's something about proximity, mm -hmm. and learning from those that are close to you, which is your peers. So that engagement is key. The second thing is, don't just engage within the classroom, engage with the rest of the IGP. Mm. So for example, the director's seminars, the sound bites, go to those um, events. Someone, a student actually made a comment and said, my advice to the next cohort is engage in everything, you know, the seminars, engage with the pro calls when they have something going on. Go to the fast forward 2030 events because you're not just at the IGP to gain academic knowledge by you know doing your dissertation but you also want to build up your network you also want to connect with other people and for example the fast forward 2030 is the network of impact entrepreneurs 
that was started by Arthur Kay, who mm -hmm. I believe you've had on the show, yes. and Henriette, our director, Professor Henrietta Moore. So participating is, is basically what I'm saying. Participate and engage fully with the course. That's one tip that I would provide. Um, I would add another E. After engage, I would say enjoy. <laughs> uh, so do not chase your uh, grades all the time. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the course, enjoy the content, and find some things which are most interesting for you. Mm -hmm. You do not have to do best in every single subject. Your employers would not necessarily uh, look for straight A's. They would look for somebody who has a passion for something and who does something uh, really well. So that's the second E. Uh, and the What's the third E? Uh, <laughs> It'll come to us. The third E is to experiment. Mm, uh, do one. different things with different people and okay. find how you can build knowledge together and how you can apply this knowledge in practical context together so and then yeah do not do not be afraid to fall and uh, pivot and, uh, and restart again but that really is at the core of entrepreneurship as well yeah. right because they experiment a lot they innovate a lot and they pivot when they need to, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just about playing safe. Um, you have to take risks, which is inherent in entrepreneurship, right? This is also like one of these things how we can learn from entrepreneurship lessons of life that that it's actually that it's actually okay to fail at some points. So if you mm -hmm. compare, for example, how entrepreneurs present themselves and how policymakers would present themselves and be presented. There's a, such a different spin on this. Uh, if, if you have a policymaker who uh, designed a policy that, that failed and they had to regroup, they would say like, oh, this is a failed policy. And then they had to, uh, they had to change everything. And, and now they lost so much time and then and this and, and that. And then you would have an, an entrepreneur coming over uh, uh, presenting his failure as his own achievement. Right. Um, and actually, this is a way of dealing with stress and, and dealing with failure that comes to all of us uh, in, a more, in a more effective way and, uh, and in, in a more psychologically uh, uh, um, safe. Uh, uh, and uh, positively, effectively uh, supporting well-being way, I would say. Yeah, so for our listeners, you already know the hack to achieve and buy the three E's. You know, engage, enjoy, and experiment. And perhaps we can wrap up our discussion with this final question being that you already pointed out earlier that learning is a two-way process. And as lecturers at the IGP, what are the key takeaways that you gained over the years of interacting with students? And how did it affect your perspective on developing a pathway towards achieving your version of prosperity? So one of the key takeaways for me, um, interacting with the students, is to be honest, they inspire me. Um, they inspire me to want to do better. And I'm asking myself, how can I help them? How can I do better for them? Because now they've come here, we've just had our induction, um, 
many of them have left jobs many of them have families there's so many things going on in their lives so for me i learned one thing one one sort of influence has been the inspiration to want to do better that's one in terms of learning i've learned from the different students based on their backgrounds so i've had a student who is um, a banker for example i see how he thinks when he makes comments i see you know sort of where he's coming from i have another student who's a designer so more creative more fluid in thinking so i have these different students that are thinking in new ways and one of the things that i like to do is to study how people think how do they solve problems how have they approached this problem and i see that when i put the students in groups i see how they function and how they work so for me i've i've picked up on some of their key ways of doing and it's also the inspiration that they bring because many of them are committed and passionate about the program because they self-select into the program in the first place and that passion is contagious mm -hmm. so yeah that's mine I would say on, on top of all of this what Anya just mentioned that I also learned that people tend to engage and students and, 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 and other people as well tend to engage with reality in very different ways and tend to um, not only build different solutions but also have different ways of of achieving these solutions and also that sometimes students who would for example be very quiet and not not necessarily visible not making themselves uh, center stage uh, 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 at all times would be fascinating uh, thoughtful uh, and so joyous to, to engage with and, and mainly this is this, this is a psychological issue but it's an also like a cultural issue that sometimes we have, so I come from a certain cultural background, or Onya comes from a certain cultural background, but then students would come from different backgrounds and they, and they approach problems and, and, and approach the learning process in, in a different way and, and sometimes in, in such surprising ways how they come up you would throw something into like a black box and it would come back to you after a, a month or two in a, with a fascinating response so, so, so I would have learned that as well I think if I can add one more thing is this you know working as program leader it has really taught me a lot about empathy. Mm. So I have to, as we talked about the diverse cohort, I have to understand the students. I have to learn about their culture. I have to understand where they're coming from so that I can work better with them. Whereas before I probably had no clue about their cultural background but now I try to expose myself because I know, okay, I'm going to get students from this country and this country, and I want to know more. I want to call them by their traditional name, not by some other name, you know? Right. And because I learned from a teaching and learning conference, actually, that students, some students attended the conference and gave us feedback. I learned that those things such as pronouncing their name correctly matters. So one of the feedback that I got from that teaching and learning conference that stayed with me after all these years is a student said, 
when I saw a journal paper or a textbook from someone from my country, it really made me feel like I wanted to study. I wanted to do well because then I recognized that someone like me is involved in this field. So not just focusing on Western case studies or Western authors, but we try to bring others from other geographical locations so that we're all, you know, working together. So yeah, that's, I think, the last bit for me. Well, again, thank you so much for the time. Um, I, if you pardon this just one closing question, how do you see cohorts grow after their experience with the Institute of the IGP? So I'm like a big dreamer. I'm like blue sky, crazy thinking. So for me, I want to see these students go out and actually uh, infect other people, like teach them about prosperity, expose them to what prosperity is about, talk to them about some of the papers that you've read, you know, that were really interesting for you. For example, there's some really interesting papers on um, social innovation and how remember we did the tom's case where mm. tom's took shoes to a country and basically destroyed the shoe market in that country because they had donated shoes even though there was such good intention the question is you need to think critically about the possible unintended consequences so for me i'm hoping that students that pass through pi you're not just going to start another business like the next person around the corner. No, you've left here now. Now you're applying systems thinking to your business model. Now you're applying the lens of prosperity to your business model. You're not just creating another business so that you can maximize uh, profit just for yourself. Now you're going to be more um, conscientious in whatever it is that you do and wherever you go and you're going to be transformative. Believe <laughs> <laughs> it. I would say that, in short, I would want you and other cohorts to go out in the world and change it. And then, as Nelson Mandela once said, it takes a generation to change the world. Maybe this is your generation. Well, with that, that's very little pressure for our generation. <laughs> Just the change in the world, no big deal. <laughs> well, with that, this has been the Life of Pi podcast and then our insert, which is to prosperity and beyond. Yeah, what a finale. And we couldn't have ended it better with the program leaders of Pi itself. So thank you again, Anya and Conrad, for indulging with us with this very enlightening conversation. We hope you enjoyed your time. I hope our listeners enjoyed their time listening to this podcast. Tune in for more from, um, from the Life of Pi podcast as hosted by Anya herself. Anya will be on the host seat <laughs> moving forward. And we'll, see, we'll hope to see you in the next one. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us.